Welcome to episode five of the one-to-one -one conversation podcast. This podcast has one-to-one -one conversations with different people from around the world, learning about their stories, best practices, ways of working and learning opportunities in the world of business, sport, family, and more. My name is Chris, the host, and today we are meeting with Jess Moss. Jess is a travel writer, photographer, strategist with over 10 years of experience in travel. Jess recently also wrote her first book, uh, Easy Weekend Getaways from Washington, DC with ideas on short breaks in Delaware, Maryland, and Virginia, and beyond. This book is really the ultimate Washington escape weekend plan, from boating on the Eastern Shore to hiking in Shenandoah to exploring beach life. Jess has been to some pretty amazing places too, whether it's Austin, Brazil, Ireland, Iceland, Italy, South Africa. Jess really has explored the world. Jess, I'm really glad we can speak today. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for having me. So let's talk about your career journey to becoming a, a writer with a focus on, on travel. How did that journey start? Um, so I've actually kind of had dreams of working in travel since I was very young. One of my um, early kind of dream careers was to be a photographer for Islands Magazine when I was in you know, elementary school. Um, and so I studied English in college and sort of had um, thoughts of going to work for a travel magazine. Um, so when I graduated, I, I moved to New York. I worked at a, a beverage industry magazine for a little bit. Um, and then I saw a job opportunity at Fodor's Travel, which is a guidebook company. Um, and I hadn't really thought about books all that much. I really had been in the magazine space. Um, but, you know, the job was working on an as an assistant on the team that managed um, guides in Hawaii, which just happens to be my favorite place. Um, Washington, D.C., where I had gone to college, um, Europe, Canada, national parks, all of these places where I had been fortunate enough to travel. Um, and so I applied and I got the job and that really kind of set me on my way towards working in travel content, um, just learning um, from one of the leading travel content brands out there. Um, so I worked for Photos for a number of years and then sort of was eyeing the uh, travel guide and, and kind of travel content industry. Back then we didn't call it content, it was just really um, travel publishing. Um, and really knew that a switch to digital was needed for my career to stay relevant. Um, so I left Voters and took a series of jobs um, at travel websites. Um, and then eventually, about five years ago, that led me to working with uh, content marketing for Marriott. Um, and so that is sort of where I am today doing content strategy for Marriott, um, as well as continuing to write on the side. And recently you wrote your first book, as we said in the intro about weekends from DC. I read the book and I was so impressed how unique it was, um, bearing in mind that the traditional travel guide that you pick up is a travel guide to a certain destination, New York, Washington DC, London, whatever that might be. In this book, you had places to visit from a destination, so from DC. And I personally went to Deep Creek um, and Harper's Ferry based on the recommendations that were in the book. So how did that all come about and start for you? Um, yeah, well, I'm glad that you put the book to use. That's really, it makes me happy to hear. Um, 
the book kind of uh, was, it sort of fell in my lap, which I know is sort of unusual when it comes to um, publishing a book, but because I had um, previous connections uh, from working in Fodor, uh, at Fodor's Travel, one of um, the editors from Fodor's who worked there after me, we didn't actually ever overlap, but it's a small world once you get into the travel space. She was at a new publishing company and they wanted to start a series of guidebooks kind of targeting, targeting you know, young professionals um, in a number of cities around the country, understanding that people really did want to get out and explore. And there was a lot of really cool stuff going on around cities like New York and DC and Seattle. Um, and so this book was um, kind of just meant to capture that, you know, easy escapes for people who maybe don't have the time to take a longer vacation, but are really excited about exploring just what is available, um, you know, within three hours of their city. And I, I have to say, I knew that DC had a lot going on around it before working on the book, but doing the research just really kind of was eye-opening at how many amazing uh, options there are, you know, you have everything from mountains to beaches to wineries to really, really good wineries, that is, um, to battlefields, you know, hiking, rivers. It's There's just so much around BC. So it was a really amazing experience. There is a lot. And I, I've lived here maybe three years now and mm -hmm. I haven't explored probably 5% of it. It's, there's so much to do. And I, I love exploring those kind of, as you mentioned, those small wineries and breweries, especially. Mm -hmm. they're, they're really special. And I read online that you did all of that research and went about finding all of those places in a 10 month period and traveling to all of those places. How was that? Yeah, was that, that was nuts. Um, yeah, I wrote the book as kind of a creative outlet um, on the side at the same time um, that the Marriott and Starwood merger was going on, which, as you know, was a very uh, intense time period to work at, at Marriott. So uh, that was just a very busy time in my life. Um, I had to be very organized, um, but, you know, I can't really complain. I basically had 10 months of going to wineries and breweries and checking out you know, beach houses and things like that. So it, it kind of put um, some of my normal, you know, social life on hold, but it was also really fun um, exploration that, you know, you mentioned Deep Creek. Um, I had about six or seven friends and I rented a house up there for a weekend um, during the summer. And that was, that was a weekend of research, you know, we had to go try the restaurants and, and see what it was like. So it was really cool. You know, I did a lot of the um, research on my own, just given the condensed time frame and the vast amount of places I needed to check out. Um, sometimes people would want to come along and I would say, sure, you know, we're going to eight breweries today. We're not trying any of them. We're popping in, checking out the menu, you know, taking some photos and leaving. Um, and we'll be on the road for 13 hours. And people are like, you yeah, I'll, I'll join once you're done with this. Um, but yeah, it was, it was just kind of a whirlwind, but you know, looking back, it was a very fun time. Yeah. I'd like to go to eight breweries and <laughs> stop at each one. That would be my yeah, objective. Exactly. That's the, that's the ideal situation. And as part of that, uh, those trips, you, you went and visited this really tiny cabin in uh, Virginia. Um, how was that experience? It looked really interesting in the book. 
Yeah, it was um, really surprising to me. I liked it a lot more than I kind of expected. Um, it's called the Getaway House. Um, and it's Getaway is this brand. They have these tiny, they're basically tiny houses um, that they set up at kind of like a campsite um, in the woods, you know, a, a weekendable distance from a number of cities around the country. So the one in DC or the one kind of near DC is close to Shenandoah National Park. Um, I wasn't sure what to expect. I kind of thought it might be a little bit just like a bunch of random trailers in the woods, um, but it's really thoughtful. It's this beautiful home. They were, it was brand new. Um, it's basically camping, but with air conditioning and a shower and a bathroom. Um, and these, these small tiny homes have these huge window walls. So even though you're at a campsite, every, every um, home is sort of angled so that all you can see is forest. Um, so it was just a really amazing way to, you know, wake up in the morning and just be surrounded by the woods. They have all these thoughtful touches like um, a box you can lock your phone away in for the weekend to truly disconnect. Um, so I, I thought it was really fantastic and actually have been um, eyeing their calendar to potentially make a return trip this summer. Very good. So if you had a spare 48 hours, money was no object whatsoever, where would you go from the book? Oh, this is so tough. It's kind of, um, you know, it changes. I think right now with everything going on in the world, I've been really craving, um, well, I've been craving time out of my apartment in general, but um, I, I'm a water person. And so I think that I would, I would either rent a house, um, you know, on one of the Delaware beaches, Bethany Beach is my personal favorite. I grew up going there. Um, there's some really gorgeous beachfront homes that um, I think just sitting, being able to sit outside and have um, dinner, looking at the dunes and, and the water would be incredible. Um, with money as no object, I think the Inn at Perry Cabin also would be a fantastic weekend getaway. You know, it's, it's on the pricier side, but it's just this beautiful, beautiful property in St. Michael's and you're on um, the river and on, on the bay and it's just a very kind of calming place, which I think a lot of us could use right now. We certainly could. I, I loved my trip to Deep, Deep Creek. I thought it was, it was amazing, that place. Um, I, I also, we went to Bethany Beach um, and that area over Thanksgiving, mm. um, I think maybe about a year ago, mm. um, the, um, 18 or 19, I can't quite remember. And um, Assateague State Park was like that, I've never had so much fun in a morning walking along, walking along and just. Did, just did you see the ponies? We didn't. Um, I, I tell you something, I was ever so cold. Um, it was mm. really windy, um, but it was, yeah, it was really special. Like just to walk along the beach and mm -hmm. just, have, you know, be, have, have a family around and stuff. It was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I think the beaches along, you know, along the Delaware shore and then down into Assateague and Chincoteague, they're just so long and you can walk, especially if you're used to kind of places on the West Coast or other places where, you know, the beach is maybe more of a cove or it's cut off. Um, here in the in the DC area, the beaches that are near us, you just, it's, it's essentially like a coastline of beach. And so you can walk for hours and just still be on the beach, which I think is so amazing. So you've written for many high-profile travel publications, including Condé Nast, AOL, Travel, US News, among many others. If someone's listening and they want to build a career in travel writing, 
Uh, what's your number one piece of advice for that? Um, well, I will, I will give a reality check and I get asked this a lot. Um, travel writing is an incredible field. It also is a very popular field and it, it is one that's a little bit difficult to break into. Um, that said, it does not require, you know, a degree of any sort. It really, the, the best thing you can do is write and have examples. Um, and I think what's amazing right now with all the resources we have with websites and blogs and social media, you know, you have the ability to kind of show your stuff before ever having a high profile writing gig. So, um, having worked, um, in-house at a number of places such as AOL travel and voters and, a few others um, and being on the assigning side, I know that for me, you know, it's, it's great to see outlets that people have written for, but if someone has a great clip or a couple of great clips that they can share that really shows their voice, um, you want someone that, that, you know, hasn't been heavily edited by the pros and you want to know that they're really good. So my number one piece of advice would be write Make sure that you're avoiding cliches, use lots of details in your, in your uh, writing, you know, kind of paint a picture with the words um, and just have hone kind of your voice and, and your craft and then um, have examples to share. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with the, the tools that are around for people now to just publish. Mm -hmm. Anyone can be a content creator, whether that's on Instagram or whether that's creating a website, these things are no longer $50,000 projects to build a website. You can, if you wanted to today, you could build a website, stand it up and make it live for under 20 bucks. I would imagine with the domain registration, it's yeah. not, it's not a costly initiative. And with things like YouTube to educate yourself, there, there is a lot of things that people can do that just are self-sufficient and just to get started. So it's a really good piece of piece of advice. I was just going to say, I, I, I have my own website and I have very, very um, minimal web uh, skills. So there are plenty of great resources. Um, you can use wordpress.com, which is free. Um, and so it's, and I would also recommend, you know, not spending too much time worrying about the bells and whistles of the website. If you're, if your focus is on writing, give yourself a platform that lets you spend your time on writing. And you have some really amazing photos over on Instagram, whether they're gorgeous pictures of Holbox, Mexico, to sunsets behind Washington Monument. Um, how do you create photos like that? And maybe what's one tip that you can provide that enables other people to create such amazing pictures too? Um, sure. So uh, this, this may be considered cheating, but I, I like to think that, you know, like you wouldn't um, like a company wouldn't just post anything that hadn't been edited or finished. Um, I always edit my photos before posting. Um, I use an app called Snapseed. Uh, it's free. It's made by Google. And it's just, it's on your phone. It's a really quick and sort of, um, it's as complex as you want it to be, but it has a lot of different controls so that you can change, you know, the white balance and the brightness and the saturation. Um, so I always touch up my photos a little bit before putting them online. Um, the other tip that I would give is I think one of the, you know, obviously a beautiful photo is a beautiful photo and that takes a lot that takes, it, it has to follow all the kind of best practices of photography and, and editing helps, but from overall, from a sort of posting on social, um, perspective, um, I think curating your photos to make sure that um, you aren't just, you know, 
posting everything that you've taken, um, that goes a long way to really tell a story and sort of create this um, overall look and feel for, for your Instagram. And last August, you posted some really unique photos of drawing with a drone in the night sky. Um, can you talk a little bit how you did that? I was really intrigued by them. Yeah, that, um, so I, for those particular photos, I was not the one flying the drone. Um, I do have a drone, which I highly recommend. It's an amazingly fun toy. Um, if you're into photography, you do have to follow. Um, there are plenty of restrictions on where you cannot fly, so you have to follow those rules. Um, for that, for those particular photos, I actually joined um, a light painting photography outing to this place in it's Croker, Virginia. You may actually pronounce the town differently, but it's spelled like Croker. Um, and that's this really, really cool place where all of these giant abandoned president's heads have been sort of left after a theme park that they were in closed down. So now you can go, you can sign up for these photo courses and they have, they had a photo instructor who was sort of uh, manning the drone and we waited for the sun to go down. And then we basically were taking, you know, long exposure photos as he drove the drone, which had lights on it. Um, we tried a number of things. We tried some sparklers and firecrackers, but I think the drone was really a cool sort of eerie effect that it added on them. Um, so I would definitely recommend, you know, whether you're in the DC area or wherever you are, um, if you're into night photography, checking out um, some instructor-led courses because uh, I had, you know, done a decent amount of night photography, but I learned a lot. And I think just, it's all about experimentation. So when you do something with other people who are experimenting, you learn a lot more in a shorter amount of time. Absolutely. So this may be a, a really broad question um, overall, but what do you think is next for the world of travel? So I think that right now travel is obviously in a very challenging time. Um, the coronavirus has basically um, paused or shut down a lot of the operation that, that we're used to in the industry. Um, and it's scary for a lot of people who work in travel. Um, I'm very optimistic that, you know, I know travel will come back. Um, looking at industry sort of data, um, it's already coming back in China, which was obviously hit earlier by the coronavirus. I think that's a really optimistic sign for everything else. Um, looking anecdotally at, you know, all, all my friends, Instagram feeds or what I'm seeing on social or just what I'm seeing in my text message threads with quarantined friends and, and conversation. Um, I think once people can, the first thing people are going to do is travel. I don't think people are scared off for good as a whole. Definitely there's varying levels of comfort and anxiety right now, but the desire to travel is there. So I think what what's next um, is really local travel. I think that as soon as it is safe to do so, people are going to start venturing out. They're going to take road trips. Um, they're going to go on those weekend escapes. Little did I know when I wrote that book how, how relevant it would soon become. Um, but I think that just exploring locally um, 
you know, very close to home first. And then I think gradually people will start flying within their own country, maybe taking longer road trips. Um, people, people just, I think, especially after being cooped up are really going to need to stretch their legs and maybe a little bit of time before international travel comes back. Um, but I think that that's, you know, local travel will definitely be first. I also think that um, travel to outdoors and, and natural spaces is really going to be desired, which I think is, I'm, I love going to national parks and hiking and being outdoors whenever I can. So to me, that's really exciting. It's also something that I think we have to be conscious of because the natural landscapes that we have are very fragile and already were, have been in need of a lot of protection. And I worry that as the masses suddenly start eyeing them as a sort of escape where maybe quote unquote fewer people are, we really have to do that in a smart way and visit these places in a responsible way because, you know, we, we want them to be around for the long run um, and they can't get overrun. No, they can't. And I remember reading an article, it was actually in the UK, um, there was a national park there or equivalent of a national park there. And at the beginning of the pandemic, it, the first weekend uh, before any of the kind of formal lockdowns had happened, it was their busiest weekend ever. Wow. Because people had thought, I just need to be outside. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm sure that mentality will, will uh, continue as, as life goes on. Um, I think you're right with local travel as well. Um, within 100 miles, 200 miles of your home, be flexible. You know, people may well choose to go on a Friday for the Saturday or, yeah. or whatever it might be. Well, and, and that'll be interesting too. You know, I think that people will be working from home for, um, for a while. I have a friend who works at Amazon and it sounds like they've been instructed that they'll be working from home essentially to August or sorry, to October and maybe beyond. Um, and so I think that what we could see too is now that people are a little bit less location dependent, you may see some longer term rentals and people saying, okay, if I can work from anywhere, why wouldn't I be at the beach? Um, that's how I feel at least. Um, and so I think, again, it, it won't be, you know, necessarily people going and becoming digital nomads in Costa Rica anytime soon. But I think that people realizing that they don't need to be near their office um, in order to do their job, at least for the next, you know, short amount of time. So I think that people renting homes, I think probably less so hotels for that sort of travel, but I think that you'll see people sort of um, not just limiting travel to the weekends because they have a little bit more flexibility. So you briefly mentioned uh, the US National Parks, which as a expat here, I think is one of the biggest strengths of the US is the national park system and how many there are and how diverse they are. Which, which one's your favorite that you've been to? Oh, that's so hard. They're so amazing. Um, the national parks are just, I think they're, they're the greatest thing about the U.S. Um, so my favorite for a very long time was always Grand Teton National Park. It's, um, it's in Wyoming. It's very close to Yellowstone. Yellowstone gets all the attention and credit and it, it should get attention. It's, it's amazing. But Grand Teton is just spectacularly beautiful. Um, it's what inspired Ansel Adams, the photographer. Um, so that, that to me is one that, you know, 
it's, it's well known, but it's not necessarily at the top of a lot of people's lists. Um, but then a few years ago, I went to Denali and it just blew everything away. Um, it is so large and it's kind of impossible to describe the scale of it. You just have to be there and sort of, you know, when you're in a national park in the continental U.S., um, you know, say you go to Rocky Mountain National Park, you're like, okay, this is amazing. I'm in nature. Um, but I drove here from Denver. I know that there's massive urbanization and civilization, you know, not too far away. But when you're in Denali, you just, there's nothing. You just have nature, you know, as far as you can kind of imagine. Um, and what's really cool about that park too is uh, aside from a couple of weekends a year, they, it's most of the park is not open to car traffic. Um, and so you have to take these buses in. And I generally am someone who likes exploring on my own. Um, but what was amazing about the bus is there's one road and it's essentially like going on a safari in the U.S. Um, you're always on the lookout for grizzly bears and moose or, and moose and caribou um, and wolves and, and just all these other animals. And so you have these really expert bus drivers who will point to, you know, a white speck on a mountain and say, oh, that's a, a sheep, a doll sheep. Um, and so that just, that park was absolutely stunning. And then you have the mountain itself, Denali, um, formerly called to a lot of people, Mount McKinley. Um, it's just massive. It's the, one of the biggest mountains I think I've ever seen and it's hidden most of the time. Um, and so you kind of, you're driving through the park and there's this amazing mountain range, the Alaska range. And I kept asking our driver, I was like, is that Denali? Is that it? And she was like, no, you'll know when you see it. Um, but I think only 30% of the parkers or 30% of park visitors actually see the mountain because it, it's so big, it creates its own weather system. So it's often just kind of shrouded in clouds. Um, so I was there in July, right around kind of the summer equinox. And so it's, you know, the land of the midnight sun, it's light until it's light all night. Um, so at around 11.30 p.m., I was staying at like a backwoods lodge in the middle of the park, and we drove out to this lake that um, there's this beautiful lake that had mountains reflecting in it, and the clouds had completely cleared. And you just look and you see this mountain that dwarfs everything around it, and it was just this magical moment. Um, and so I think that just solidified Denali as this this amazing place that I think, you know, not a lot of people go to, but it's, it's just wild and beautiful. So I've had two amazing experiences in national parks and we've mm -hmm. been to a few. One was in Shenandoah. Um, it was our first time there and we were driving Skyline Drive and mm -hmm. I think we were going to do a trail with um, some extended family and all these cars had stopped. And we're like, what, what's going on? And then they all slowed down and then drove off. And we looked out the window and there's just a, a bear, like oh. arms and the way. And you're like, oh, my oh that's kind of scary, but <laughs> amazing as well. And, um, and the second one was in uh, Yosemite National Park. So we, we stayed um, probably about an hour away, um, mm -hmm. just on the side of a highway. And then we, we drove in the next day. And I woke my, my three daughters up at something like 6 a.m and said you have to get dressed and we have to get going and uh, I have never 
met three most grumpy people ever. <laughs> they did not want to go. They were moaning the whole way. And um, we drove there. We, we got into the park maybe 7.30-ish and went straight to Tunnel View, um, then hit some uh, waterfalls um, into the kind of village area, hiked, and then drove out uh, along Toga Pass to um, a, a big lake and then drove on to Mammoth. Uh, that night um, and my daughter at the end said like thank you and I was like I, I turned you like I <laughs> I managed to convince you that that was a good idea um, and it, it uh, if I could spend two or three weeks there I, I would you know just it was well that place where you could just completely disconnect and you see everything from amazing scenery to um, to waterfalls to um, lakes and the weather system was 90 degrees in some places and 60 oh gosh, in another yeah. like it's uh, so oh, terrible, so. yosemite is so high i haven't been it's very high on my list that one in glacier to and acadia um I, well I, and i can keep listing but um, yosemite is one that just it looks incredible and i've seen some from a photography perspective um there's this effect that happens on the waterfall like at certain times of year i think where it's something like the setting or the rising sun hits the waterfall in a way that just makes it look like it's a stream of fire um, sort of falling down the mountain. It's just this orange, the water lights up orange and it's just incredible looking. Um, and so that park just is, is very high on my list. That sounds amazing. It is, and you, you also get to see the, the cliff face where the guy free soloed oh, up, yeah. the, um, up the outside. and. We, we watched them, uh, so we, we took our children there and then uh, about two days later, we watched the, the movie and that same daughter said to me, did he really climb that with no ropes? I'm like, yeah, yeah. He, he did. Like, and, um, yeah, this like, is wow. why we, I showed you this after we went, so you don't get ideas. <laughs> yeah, because she probably would, but um, <laughs> there, there were people there um, watching others climb, not with no ropes, but with ropes um, mm -hmm. and just in the, in the field below and with uh, long telescopes. Mm -hmm. It was, yeah, it was an amazing place. And that would be, if I could go back anywhere, that, that would be my uh, two-week um, disappearing place, I think. That sounds like a good one. So when, um, when the world is open up again for travel and international travel is a little bit more normal, um, where's one place that you would encourage people to see? Hawaii is just, to me, one of the most amazing places in the world. It's in, it's part of the US, so you have all the conveniences of being in the US. You know, you don't have to worry about a passport or your cell phone plan or anything like that. Um, if you're a US you know, resident, I should say. Um, but it just is a completely different world. It has an incredible culture and history, and it's it's just so beautiful. It lives up to all the all the hype. So I think if if anyone hasn't been to Hawaii, it should be on your list. Don't go right now. They're being very, very strict about visitors um, and quarantine. I think you have to quarantine very seriously for 14 days if you arrive. Um, and if you don't follow the rules, they are buying people plane tickets out. Um, so wait, wait that one out. Um, you know, I think also just kind of in keeping with um, the theme of outdoors, places with great outdoors, Iceland, is just this incredible island and if you're on the east coast of the u.s um or obviously in in europe it's really not that far i think from new york i think it's actually a shorter flight to get to iceland than it is las vegas um 
So that's just an incredible, incredible place. And I think if you go there, definitely get out of Reykjavik. Um, it's a really cool city, but the, the really beautiful parts of the country are when you get in a car and just kind of head out and explore. So when you travel to these amazing places like Iceland and, um, and Hawaii, what's one thing that you can't leave the house without? Um, I actually have pre-trip night, like stress nightmares about arriving and not having my camera. So I would say definitely a camera. I'm a little crazy. I travel with like usually four different kinds. I bring, if possible, I bring my drone. Um, I have a big uh, DSLR that I take. Um, I take my GoPro that's waterproof. I have a smaller kind of point and shoot that's less uh, less bulky. And then my phone takes really, uh, these days I probably take 80% of my photos on my phone. Um, so I, I travel with far too much camera gear for an enthusiast, but to me that's really kind of what really brings me joy in travel is just, you know, getting to be a little creative and capture what I'm seeing, especially if it's seeing it for the first time. So cameras galore would be what I cannot travel without. Yeah, um, seeing those pictures, I was looking through some old photos and just seeing some of those ones from whether it's summer road trips or whatever it might be is a lot of fun. I also love a GoPro camera. I think mm -hmm. they are, my kids love it. Like they, they take it in the pool and they're swimming underwater with it. Um, it's, they take some real, like you have to sort of, if you set it up for the photo every kind of 30 seconds mm -hmm. underwater, you, they'll probably take four or 500 photos <laughs> and then, and then you'll be able to use maybe one or two, yeah. but, uh, but they are really special. And I would encourage anyone that doesn't have one to look into it. It's, they are pretty special. Yeah, they're versatile. They come with some really fun mounts. So I've done it before where um, I was driving the Pacific Coast Highway, you know, around kind of Big Sur where it gets really windy on these um, these cliffside roads. And I suction cupped the GoPro to the, the hood of the car um, and did one of those time lapse where it just was taking a photo every couple of seconds. And then there's they have GoPro software that stitches it all together. So the result is this basically like roller coaster, motion sickness inducing kind of fast uh, motion of what it's like driving. And they're just they're not very expensive cameras, but they're so versatile. So the, the Big Sur trip, was that is that the 17 mile road? Is that the drive that you did? Um, so Big Sur, so it's part of the Pacific Coast Highway. I've done it a few times. Um, it is, so the, I think that time that I did that GoPro, um, hood of the car, I actually did a, a pretty crazy road trip where I drove from, I, I flew to Vancouver, Canada. Um, and then I, in the course of 11 days, um, made my way along the entire coast all the way down to Mexico. Um, and it was a lot of driving. I actually took the train from Vancouver to Seattle, but then from there, um, you know, made my way down, but it just was, it was an amazing trip. Um, I had various friends and family members kind of joining me like a relay. So my mom met me in Portland and we drove, uh, the entire Oregon coast and Northern California. And then she left in San Francisco where one of my best friends came and met me there. And then we picked up a friend in LA. It was just, um, it was very much a stunt trip. It was not, you know, something where you're kind of casually exploring um, the, the full area, but 
I really like road trips. I think the coast out there is just incredible, especially Oregon and, and Northern California. Um, Big Sur and Monterey and kind of the, the standard Pacific Coast um, highway between San Francisco and LA, I think is, is the very commonly traveled route. And it, it is for good reason. It's absolutely amazing. But the Northern stretch is much less traveled. And to me, it's, it's even more beautiful. It's very wild. Um, you have Redwood National Park up there. Um, and it's, it's just stunning. Yeah, we drove last summer. We started in LA and drove to San Francisco and went to Monterey mm-hmm. prior. Uh, Monterey's stunning. It was a, such an amazing night there. Yes. Um, we did Pebble Beach and then we stayed in a like a small glamping area just outside uh, San Francisco and then went into San Francisco. And that's the same trip that we did, Yosemite. And oh, we ended cool. up, I think, on probably 2,000 miles. Yep. Um, and my wife did say at the end, she said, can we just sit on a beach next year? <laughs> this is cool. Come on, let's drive some more. But, um, I know. Well, so, out there, I feel like when you're driving, it's like, it's not the same as driving on the East Coast where you're just on highways. You may even be on highways, but it's scenic. And I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm able to comfortably log a lot more miles out on the West Coast than I am sort of doing the DC to New, New York haul or something. Yeah, Absolutely. So I have some quick fire questions for you. Um, when, when working with you, what are two behavioral qualities that other people have to show on a daily basis? That's a really good question. Um, I would say first is curiosity. Um, I think always wanting to know why something is a certain way. Um, and I think um, respect is the other, you know, treating everyone no matter of no matter what their title is, no matter what their experience level is, um, treating everyone as if they have something to bring to the table because they do. And then, what is one unacceptable behavior that at work that you just do not tolerate? Um, laziness. Uh, I think sometimes people get comfortable and are used to things. Um, be, things have always been a certain way, so that's the way they are. Um, and I think there's always a better way to do something. You just have to look for it. You do. Um, so thank you so much for your insights, Jess. You've got me wanting to travel, travel <laughs> America now. So um, I'll be off doing some research. I really appreciate it. The, there's lots of places to explore and you can clearly see that you're very passionate about travel and exploring and providing. That book as well was simply amazing. So I really appreciate oh, thank it. Thank you. you so much. Thank you so much. This has been so fun. Everyone should travel, get out there once it's safe to do so. Absolutely. I concur with that completely. So uh, people can find more at uh, com or on Instagram. Go and explore those night photos with the drone at uh, jmos5. You've been listening to episode five of the one-to-one conversation podcast. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and probably anywhere else that you enjoy listening to podcasts. Hit subscribe to be notified of new episodes. Please also rate and review the show to help others find it. And you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the one to one pod. Thanks for listening and have a good day.